This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Recently I went to see Jesus Christ Superstar right in this very building, the Fisher Building at the Amazing Theater. It is a musical about the last few days of Jesus Christ and the convoluted relationships he held with his family, closest friends and followers, as well as the authorities. One of the most complicated relationships was between Jesus and Judas, the subject of the musical. Judas, you know him, the 30 pieces of silver betrayer. The day before he was to be crucified, someone brought some wonderful perfume and oil, and she poured it on Jesus' body to prepare him for his impending death. But Judas balked at the use of this expensive perfume, arguing it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Seems like a legit question to me. Jesus told Judas what this woman did was a beautiful thing, and it was hers to give. He then makes what I consider to be a true but shocking statement. He said, the poor you always have with you. The point being, he was about to be gone in about 24 hours or less, but the poor and their needs would be constant. And Jesus was actually quoting from the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy to be exact, where Moses made a similar statement. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. The poor you always have with you. Well, my question, not to sound too much like Judas, is why? Every major religion is commanded to care for the poor, the orphans, the widows, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and all of their branches cannot escape this command. I think it's the wrong question. Among other life choices, I think Judas asked the wrong question. I would prefer to ask the why question first. Why must we always have the poor with us? Why can't we not have the poor? Why can't we move past the premise that there always has to be people with less than enough? Why? Is it in our DNA, our systems of economic and governance? Is poverty woven into the fabric of every culture that has ever existed? Poverty in America sounds like an oxymoron to me. It just doesn't seem to fit together. So Jerry and I will solve, oh wait, discuss the implications of this philosophical dilemma and what we're doing about it for all of you on this week's edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me here in the WJR studio. And uh, as I said, Jerry, we're in the Fisher Building, and it's great to see you. It's always a pleasure and nice to handle easier topics for a change. You know, <laughs> topics that have clear and concise answers and uh, 
you know, things that everyone agrees about. You know, we're usually trying to change the conversation, and, you know, at least you pick the topic that we don't have to change anything. No, no not at all. <laughs> well, and I think that this show will see the philosophical meet the pragmatic. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're the guy in the trenches leading this work in southeast Michigan, and and uh, and also have impact across the state and the nation. And so I think, you know, my first question is, why? Why, so, why, why do we have to have poor? Why do people have to be poor? As I said in the monologue, I think it's like being poverty in America or like an oxymoron. It's two words that don't really fit together. Now, it's not quite an oxymoron, but it's not like jumbo shrimp. Right. You know. Right. You know, I mean, and I would say, you know, just a little bit of belief goes a long way. And we believe that this problem can be solved. So we have belief in the gospel of Ted Lasso, you know, <laughs> that just a little bit of belief goes a long way. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say also, you know, uh, oxymoron is fatal cure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of works against each other there. And the last one I'd say is fair fight because I've never been in one of those. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so. Give give me your reaction, Jerry, and let's 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 start this show off as you say on a on a, a deeply philosophical topic, but also has a lot of, of you know pragmatic implications as well. So I think I should probably tell just a little bit of my own story to mm. to lead into this because I started out in life uh, with a fantastic parish priest who I admired and really loved. He was, a, he was a very holy man. And I thought that was going to be my path. I, 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 I moved from the Upper Peninsula to Detroit because I was going to become a Capuchin, which is what my parish priest was. Uh, the Capuchins are, are Franciscans. They, they identify with, with people in poverty. They dedicate their lives to simple living and, and things that really resonated with me and that I saw in this person as hugely valuable. So I, I came down to do that. I started down the path of getting a theological education. And after one class, I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm a very good theologian. <laughs> It's there's something about the hypothetical nature of theology and that it it's hard to connect it into the world directly and my brain just doesn't really work well that way. So so when we talk about things like why must the poor be with us? There's an existential part of that that my brain rejects. Just just it rejects the question. Isn't that? Ah, that's a hard question. I don't know what to do with that. So, so, so the way I kind of try to make up for my lack of, you know, intellectual capacity <laughs> is to just try to do the right things. It's the honest truth. You know, I, food banking is very pragmatic and it appealed to me because it's so, you know, it's so in front of you. People, people need something. If they get it, the world is better. Not just for the people who get it, but for everybody. And, and, and as we've discussed on our show so many different ways, um, the, the, the cost of not solving hunger and food insecurity is so much greater than the cost of solving it. It just seems ridiculous to me that we wouldn't solve that. 
So now you apply that to the concept of poverty. Why is it that, that generation after generation, we have people living in poverty and other people living with a tremendous amount of stuff, right? And, and with that comes influence, with that comes the ability to protect you and your own, right? So even if you just think about the dynamic of people will help their family and friends before they help a stranger almost across the board. Well, so if, if, you have a lot, if you have a very few people with a lot of stuff protecting their friends and family, you create systems that are inherently inequitable, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that, that's notwithstanding other attitudes and things that, that drive the way people behave. So it's a complicated topic. I've probably already spoken <laughs> more than I know. But, but I think it is important in solving this work to at least stand in this conversation and say, well, you have to have a point of view. You can't just ignore it. You have to have a point of view. Right. I, well, I think this is where philosophical meets pragmatic, and I think everybody who listens to this show know which role you and I play. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think that, that, you know, poverty in America is, to me, two words that do not fit together. Um, you know, you talk about the, the emerging uh, economic insecurity gap between those who have and those who don't have enough. And let's be clear, I, I really am convinced that the opposite of par- poverty is, is having enough. It's being self-sufficient. It might not everybody having a yacht, but everybody has what they need to live. And that's, that's kind of like a, a, a foundational definition, I think, that can help us frame this because why can't people have enough to live why can't they have enough resources why can't they have enough access why can't why does we've talked about it on the show why does a zip code have to determine someone's life expectancy because of their lack of access to health care those are the things that i think are worthy of us talking about and when i think about the work of the food bank council that that does different differentiate a bit from what the work of the food banks actually do although we're doing this work together you know we have a bucket that we call that's a part of our work called anti-hunger work and essentially that's addressing questions like this and i don't just want to ask the question i want to i want to dig and find the answer and i think as a as a you know the whole world population we do have more answers today than we had 20 years ago. I mean, there are, there are people that, that believe all of the wisdom of the ages was, you know, 3,000 years ago dictated, and, and that's all the wisdom there is. I'm not one of those people. You know, I think we get wiser as we learn more. I think the scientific method is just one example of something that, that has helped us understand how to think differently. I don't think all the answers will come from there, though. I think there are there are answers that will not come f- just from the scientific method, especially to a question like why does poverty still exist? Right? You can't just lay out a hypothesis and a series of possible answers and then test those and and come up with this this happens more often than that. But but 
There are things you can do that follow that method that deepen our awareness and understanding of the complexities of life, the different solutions it's going to take to really get at what to do about poverty that will then help us look back better and understand why poverty exists. Why it exists and why it doesn't have to exist. I think that's the second question, you yeah. know. Why is it here and why 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 does it have to stay here? Why can't we create that that kind of uh, culture and community so that 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 kids learn about poverty from a history book rather than from lived experience. I think that's the view of a better tomorrow that I have in my mind. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We are from the Food Bank Council of Michigan. This is Food First Michigan, and we're going to be back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with you and Jerry Brisson. We're talking some, uh, I think we're going to get to the pragmatic side of this. Just do the right thing in facing with uh, deep philosophical um, difficult questions like why are there so many poor people and why have there always been so many poor people and you know Jerry I mean this is my area this philosophical work I mean my dissertation talked about the fundamental benefits of the problem of evil I mean evil exists in the world to teach us things we would never otherwise know about like courage that's why you have our first responders running into buildings while everybody else is running out. If the danger didn't exist, the ability to, to develop one of humanity's most admirable characteristics, like courage, would never come about. So, you know, that's a Cliff Notes version of my dissertation, but there uh, it is. That's only the the setup for the dissertation. <laughs> right. We didn't get to the bottom line yet, but that's okay. That I know that takes about, you know, 400 pages. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, it felt like that. I'm sure when you read it it felt even longer. But um you know, I mean, this is something that is uh it's in the headlines. I mean, it's it's a part of who we are. For example, uh the friend of ours, Angie Rogers, who used to uh, lead the Arizona Association of, of Food Banks in our Feeding America Network, was asked to serve in the Office of Economic Security for Governor Hobbs in the state of Arizona. And Angie now leads that. The fact that they had to create an Office of Economic Security suggests that they realize that this gap that you talked about in the last segment between the have and the have not, and again, the definition of, of anti-poverty being people have enough. We might not have everything we want, but we have enough. And so that's where I think, you know, this is becoming a mainstream idea. And even here in, in Michigan, we have um, Kim Trent, at LEO, Labor and Economic Opportunity, 
who's kind of doing some of the same work that Angie's doing in Arizona. So it's 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 top of the mind here. Timely show, I'm saying. <laughs> well, it sure is. And I mean, you know, I have notes and notes and notes and notes, right? So, so you know, my degrees are in management. Both my bachelor's and master's degrees are in organizational management. So as an organizational manager, the question I ask, well, who's charged with ending poverty and how much money do they have to fix it? <laughs> right? I mean, I, again, we're talking about the philosophical and the pragmatic, and I know I can't get out of it, right? I'm like, well, it, you're asking why is there poverty? And I say, well, who's charged with fixing it? <laughs> right. And how much money do they have? If it's nobody's responsibility and they have no money, the likelihood is it's probably not going to be solved. Right. <laughs> so so that's, there's That's about as pragmatic as you can get right, right there. And, and I know that's you know it's it's a ridiculously simple question for a very complicated thing. But but my next note says the less you know about a problem, <laughs> the easier it is to solve, right? It's something we say all the time, right? So so poverty is a word that means actually quite a few things. Poverty isn't a thing, it's many things, right? People in poverty aren't a community. There are many communities. There are many communities across the country. In, in, in any urban area or rural area, in any country in the world, poverty is not just a thing, right? It's, it's many things. And then, and then you add one more layer of thinking about why. And you say, okay, so who do you ask why? And if you ask these different people why, they're going to have a different perspective about why. If you ask an economist why poverty exists, they will have a particular answer. If you ask a religious leader why poverty exists, they will have a different answer. If you ask a political scientist why poverty exists, they will have a different answer. If you ask an auto worker why poverty exists, they will have a different answer. If you ask a radio host why poverty exists, well, they'll have all the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but, and those are just some, you know, some, a small, small list of, of all of the perspectives. And I mean, educated perspectives, life experience perspectives, and the, the, the cumulative knowledge of all of those different groups, plus the many, many, many that, that weren't listed, that it, it, it's not like there's a consensus about this, but there's a lot of people with really strong opinions about it that that are trying to drive us all directionally toward whatever their point of view is. So, so my response to all of that is good. That's what we should be doing. We should have all these very good points of view. We should lay them all out. We should absorb as much of it as we can. And from the practice of really good, open-minded debate get closer and closer and closer to the answer why does poverty still exist and there are there are clear things that bring people to poverty i at one more point i want to make there are people in my life who in in the world that i operate in that say the only thing that separates people um from from being, you know, not in poverty, middle class or whatever the other thing is, the opposite, not poor, is money. Having enough. Right. right. It's money. It, whatever, however you want to describe money, 
Uh, it's the resources, right? And that's the difference between being poor and, and not being poor. And, and again, it's a simple idea that, that there's merit to thinking about how many people does that really work for, right? And, and I don't know the answer to those questions, but, um, but there are, I guess, uh, a lot of attempts to get at this issue in simple ways that have never worked and I don't believe will ever work. Well, I don't I think it, I would agree with you that there is there is not simple answers to complex problems. Um, and I do I like what you 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 talked about about all these people's different perspective. So there's lots of chairs around the table. And from that, we live and we learn and we grow and we try to do more and better with what we have learned from sitting at that table. But it has to come to me, in my estimation, this is the, phil the philosopher leaning into the pragmatic. It has to lead to action steps. It can't just lead to more talk. It has to lead to pragmatic solutions for deeply philosophical issues and just doing and doing the right thing i think is a great first step um you know i i i remember i remember the words of george santagnana who basically said for those who do not understand history they're condemned to repeat it but in your estimation of, of money goes a long way in helping solve problem and lift people out of poverty there are some pretty good historical examples one most recently was the the child tax credit where the the office of uh, congressional budget said that this would probably lift almost half the children in poverty in america out of poverty and i i think we just have to look at this historically and say okay did this work and what did we learn from it and should we expand it should we grow it should we scale it should we you know you know um, adjust it in some way and then I would go all the way back to the invention of the social of social security that intent of the social security program was to indeed lift seniors living in poverty out of poverty now has how successful has that been I think that would be a tremendous show <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and you can't say that the radio hosts will have all the answers and then say, you don't have all the answers, because that puts a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> well, I, I think you're built for pressure, Doctor. You know, it's, you're the diamond, right? Isn't that how diamonds are created, pressure? I, I, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. So let's pick up this pressure on the other side of a break. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food First Michigan. We thank you for listening. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Phil Knight here. Dr. Phil Knight with you, Jerry Brisson. Jerry, we're talking about a topic that probably some of our listeners will go, why? <laughs> <laughs> what qualifies you? And I think it's years of experience and in looking into the lives of people and being in a life of service. I'm not saying that we have the economic, and I can't remember all the different people you listed brilliantly a, a, a few segments ago about who would have a, 
you know, an answer, an insight into this, but I don't think we're disqualified from that. I think people would be a little more surprised that that I'm taking more of the side of Judas and you're taking more of the side of Jesus. I mean, people who know us, I think would be a little shocked by that. I think you're probably right about that too, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, why? Why, why, why do we have to have people who are struggling so much to survive? Not thrive, but survive. And kids being born into generational poverty I mean, I, I know this, food, this show is about food security, but Jerry, I believe with all of my heart that creating food security in a household is that first step towards self-sufficiency, where people don't need us and they don't need the government. They're able to have enough on their own. Yeah, so, so there are... Um, there are, again, so many ways to, to try to get at um, what is it that, that causes poverty to persist? And it has persisted since the beginning of time. One of the, one of the things in our framework for gleaners is we, we talk about the four pillars of success, uh, things that have to happen if we're going to if we're going to have a food secure community and we talk about having a deep understanding of community and the impact that that our work does we talk about telling our story well we talk about growing resources and we talk about being an excellent organization those four things understanding the answer to the question why is there still poverty gets at telling our story well where does the story start where does the story of food insecurity start? Does it start 10,000 years ago when, you know, there were, there were practically no systems to help anybody and you either lived or died based on what your tribe could figure out? Is that where the story of poverty starts? Does the story of poverty start during the, the, um, the Renaissance? when the philosophers and artists came around to present life in amazingly different pictures and, 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 and very, very new ways to think about how people interact and, and how people interact with spiritual things and all that stuff. Does the story start there? Is that where people persistently become poor and stay poor? Does the story start at the Great Depression? You know, is that where our story starts? In Because food banking happens 40 years later when there's finally a surplus of food consistently in the country. Is that where the story starts, right? But fundamentally, answering the question, where does this story start, gets at why do we still have poverty, right? Now, do we know where the story starts? I think it's all of those places. I think the story starts and ends every single day in different ways and in different circumstances and technology is driving a new story artificial intelligence is driving a new story um you know and and i mean i picked on artificial intelligence because that's a big topic right now that everyone's afraid of but but it's not the first time we've had a significant change that has rewritten the story of how we interact with each other. And I do believe that that dynamic is part of why poverty exists. It is a moving target. Yeah, you know, I mean, all the way back to when the story begins, I mean, I mean, let's just 
go to my example from the monologue. Deuteronomy was written by Moses. <laughs> that that was that was a minute. Yeah, right. That was a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> and and he said, the poor are basically always with you, and because they are, the command was really to be open-handed, to be generous. I mean, orphans, widows. I mean, it's commanded through all Scripture everywhere. I don't care what Scripture you're reading. It's there. Because uh, I've read them all. Trust me on this. I'm not an expert on anything, but I'm probably as close on this as I am on anything. So it's all there. Are they, are they there to, to, to make us better? To make us be more generous? <laughs> You've been poor. Is I, that how you felt when you were struggling? No. No way. No. But, on you know, the outside is that there's this group of people who are here, and they seemingly have always been here. And do they exist so that people who aren't them can develop this, this great characteristic, like courage, <laughs> called generosity? You know, I mean... I just struggle with that. Yeah, I do too. I, I think that, um, I think that, when we talk about our values and the things that that drive us to do this work, the two values that are most prominent are compassion and respect. Compassion and respect. If we are going to be respectful of people who live in poverty, and we're going to be compassionate as well. You know, that demands a certain way of behaving, a certain way of thinking, and a certain way of conducting ourselves. And, and it, one, of the, one of the outpourings of those values is the idea that you have to meet people where they are. You, you have to get a clear understanding of who people are and, and what they're about and, and what they value and the kinds of things that, that they have in mind for themselves um, in order to move the conversation and, and anybody's behavior forward to something that's, that, that works better for everyone. And, and that's not just the people we serve. That's not just people in poverty. That's rich people, too. That's middle class people. That's all of us, right? Meeting people where they are and getting a deep understanding of people and community you have to develop that in order to, to really get at what you're talking about here, Doctor, which is moving beyond the idea that, that we develop positive traits because of other people's suffering. I mean, it may be that that's true, but it's not a very compassionate or respectful way to treat other people. So, you know, Jerry, the concept of meet people where they are, not where you wish they were, is profound. Uh, I, I would love for people not to be where they're sitting on this state, in their station and on this life's journey, because they're struggling with enough, right? And um, what the pragmatic answer to not having enough is, I think comes in a lot of different shapes, sizes, programs, and principles but the fundamental one is you have to define reality and accept where people are at you can wish they weren't there all you want but the fact is they are and that's where you have to start 
And I think that is a struggle for some people. Well, why are they even poor? Why are they even there in this situation? And I think that there's probably no greater waste of intellectual energy than those questions. <laughs> well, I mean, if there's a genuine openness to the answer, I'm okay sitting with the question. Right. But if what the question really is, is more of a statement of belief that's that's impregnable, (laughs) well, then it's not a very worthwhile conversation. Right. If someone if someone is saying, I don't know why people are poor, but what they're really saying is, I don't think it should be my responsibility to care about it. And I'm going to shut this conversation off right now because, frankly, I don't care if that's the message. It's hard to do anything with that. Right. But if the if the question really is, help me understand, why is this happening? And if I from that learning can make a difference that I think is meaningful, I will be willing to step into this and make a difference. That's where I think change really begins to happen. But it starts with an open mind. Starts with an open mind. And speaking of open minds, we hope you'll keep one and join us back for one more segment. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we'll be back in just a moment. Why do we have poor people? And here's your answer, Jerry Brisson. No pressure there, brother. <laughs> I'm the answer to why we have poor people? Wait a second, wait a second. You have the answer. <laughs> You know, I, I will say this. Um, I think that, that it's, I've already said it's a complicated question, but I would be remiss if I didn't say, in working on this issue, Dr. Phil, I'm honored to be working with you. And I'm honored to be working with people who are listening to our show and my team at Gleaners and the food banks in Michigan um, and, and, and the, the other people who are willing to stand in this space of why and honestly hear the answers and move toward resolution. That, that to me, the answer to why, I don't know. Again, I'm not a theologian, but I am a person that cares deeply. I'm surrounded by people that care deeply, and I believe that that's enough to keep moving us forward. It's a, it's a difficult question. It had many, many layers um, that we tried to peel back a few of those layers on this onion called poverty today. But I, I think, you know, you can, you can find some really good writing here. I would, I would recommend the book by Matthew Desmond called Poverty in America. I think it's uh, an excellent read, and I would like to have Matthew on the show at some point to talk about it. Uh, we're working on that. Which would be which would be awesome, but you know you can find quite a few good reads about why does poverty still exist, and particularly in America. And for me, Jerry, I come from an experience of living out of this country for almost a decade, mud huts, grassroofs, and you know some people who have come to America from those type of settings, extreme poverty, have said to us, even your, po- even your poor here are rich. 
So there's a comparison here to world poverty versus poverty in America. And I think one of the things that makes the question very difficult for us in America is because we are a nation of great wealth. And why can't that wealth be used to lift everyone out of the clinches of poverty? I mean... That's there. There's so much to think about here. It is. It is so many of the reasons why we do what we do. That sense of genuine care and wanting to make a difference. Well, I go back to your answer. Is in face of a very difficult philosophical dilemma. I'm going to try to just do the right thing. Time for a little food for thought. We started this show over six years ago to change the conversation about food security across Michigan. So the conversation had to climb. Why must we, there always be a class of people in our country that doesn't have enough? Why? If you can't help me answer that one, well, maybe you can help me answer this one. Why not? Why not? create the change that we need to create? Why not create the culture and the community that we want so children grow up with enough food, opportunity, and access and literally learn about poverty from their history books? I believe food security is the first step toward a self-sufficient life. And our job is to make sure people in need have the resources they need to take that first step. And our first step is always to put and to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.